Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're back for episode, is this three? Yeah, episode three of Galactica, actually. I am A. Diallo Jackson and my indomitable co-host, I don't even know what indomitable means, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) co-host Jamie Smith is here. Hi, Jamie. Hi. (laughs) How are you doing this, this week? I'm good. So you've been watching a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, um, where where are you at like right now in terms of episodes? Today we're going to be doing water, but where are you? Um, I just watched. Oh God, what's the name of it? I could tell you what happened, but I need to. If you tell me what happens, I probably know the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was the one where. Uh, Shelley Godfrey shows up. Uh, she's the uh, the master at arms. No, it's the one where um, six as oh. Shelley Godfrey shows up. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember the name of that episode actually, but yeah, so I know where you're at. You're right before we get to like the kind of finale ish of the season, right? It's called it's like... Six Degrees of Separation. Okay. Uh, no, no, it's nowhere near the finale. It's like episode seven or something. That's a, okay. There's well, eleven episodes, only, like, right? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> we're such experts. <laughs> there's, there's like eleven. <laughs> there's eleven episodes, I think, for the season. I think okay. for the first season. So yeah, you're kind of like. So I just I asked that because I'm just curious. Um, like when you you're a little bit ahead, but then when you're going back to talk about um, earlier episodes, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that. Um, I learned a few years ago and I, I introduced it to you offline was the approach that Ron Moore took um, when he was designing the story arcs for Battlestar Galactica, and, which is um, I think he said there's a, a structure that they use for St. Elsewhere, I think, where there's sort of like A, B and C story. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like, this week's C story will be next week's B story, and then the week after that, it'll be the A story. And 
you start when I learned that I started to see that thread when I'm watching episodes. So I'm just wondering, since you're a way far ahead, are you starting to get a good sense of that happening? Well, I'm going to think about it more now as I'm watching, but even just like this episode, what would you say the A story is? It's the water issue, right? Yeah, the A story is the water issue. There's a couple spots uh, like, I mean, go ahead, go ahead and finish, but I'll give my. So the A story is the water issue. What would you say is the B story? Would that be Adama and Rosalind sort of? understanding that they're both sort of putting on a show for each other yeah i think it's funny actually i think the b story here was it was adjacent to the water story where they were with tyrol and um tyrol and boomer kind of doing their shuffle with the uh weapons or the bombs or whatever um and then i think to me, the sea story was Adama and um, Rosalind. But then it could also be the little bits with Lee and Rosalind as well. I'm not sure. Well, the reason I ask is because the next episode is Bastille Day. Mm-hmm. And the A story in that is Tom Zarek and, you know, Lee being on that ship on the mm-hmm. the prison ship so if that's the case that's a direct result of what happens in this episode with Rosalind asking him to be her sort of military liaison she basically has him go in there yeah that's a good call it's perfect and then because then after the episode after this i think is with the master at arms right and uh oh, was that right after hold on i've got my little my little book here. No, after that is the there's a whole thing with Kara. Oh, and... oh yeah, yeah. How could I forget? So the way I took what Ron Moore said, because I've read that quote quite a bit, is that mm-hmm. each episode has an A, B, and C story. The A story is the one in this episode that sort of wraps up in mm-hmm. this episode. Then the B story sort of takes he said like three or four episodes to resolve. And then the mm-hmm. C story is sort of that thread that goes across the entire season. Yeah. So it's, it's, and I, you know, again, I bring it up because, um, a couple this, the second episode was really sort of like the first regular episode of the show. Um, so I noticed watching this, the energy seemed to be tamped down a lot more, like compared to three. And I'm thinking about some of the other episodes in the series, but or the season. Um, but it does a lot of establishing um, things and relationships that will be impactful across the season. Um, again, the experience that I had watching Battlestar Galactica was there was always like a feeling of constant movement in terms of like plots and nothing ever really felt inorganic and i think it was because of that um you know peppering a seed um that you saw manifest three episodes later and so it didn't feel like it was just coming out of nowhere Mm -hmm. um and and again a lot of people have some problems with season four and i think like to be fair when i watched season four i noticed that they 
tell season four differently than they tell the first three seasons. And that's why I think it felt different and maybe not as good. Um, there's some other things that, you know, that are involved with that, but, um, but I really do like this structure of, uh, feeling like there's a, a natural progression from lots of different points that always ends on a, you know, like a, like a, in a punctuation, um, whether it's Pegasus that we see a little bit later, going back to Caprica, all kinds of things. So, yeah, except for Black Market, which came out of nowhere. <laughs> there were always, uh, there were always like a few. I mean, they were. I guess they were like fillers. I guess, but they were like one-off filler kind of episodes. And yeah, Black Market definitely is one. Uh, there was another one with, uh, I think it's season three uh with uh the character bulldog uh comes back uh is that adama's friend yeah his friend uh from i think yeah i think yeah. that was season three yeah. i think that's season two actually yeah it might be season two i mean it might be after the pegasus stuff um, yeah yeah but anyways yeah so yeah they definitely do <laughs> they definitely do have so oh, there's another one i think it's season four it's like i think they call that episode the fisher king the one oh the woman where, king the one about yeah, hilo king. Yeah, yeah hilo yeah that, <laughs> that one also seemed to be just like out of nowhere kind of but we'll <laughs> we'll we'll you know whatever it's all it's all fun and games until somebody <laughs> dies until someone so. blows up a water tank yeah so this is episode two of season one of Battlestar Galactica, uh, Galactica <laughs> called Water. Um, it was directed by Marita Graviak and written by Ron Moore. One thing, um, like a little thing I kind of noticed when I, when I first was watching Battlestar, you know, I was watching it as it aired, um, but... I was also in my, my piracy days, and so I was getting anxious, and I just wanted to watch the episode. So I started to uh, – I don't know. I think the uh, the statute of limitations is up, so I can talk about this. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, like, grabbing episodes to watch them because I knew they had already aired in the UK. And I saw I, – one thing I noticed was that – the opening for the UK was different than the opening of the US version. So they, this first season, um, sort of like the motif that we have uh, when the opening credits are happening, had a little bit more somber militaristic sound than the one that we are kind of like used to in season one in the US. And in the UK, it's always had that opening um song that they sing there's a there's a term for it um i can't remember what it's called but it's just something i again something i noticed with this episode because i think this was the first episode that would really get the uh cylons were created by man and that kind of stuff at the beginning yeah so yeah this episode is sort of like really like the first regular episode of the series and um so it has a lot of stuff that it needs to take care of and do and kind of get us uh, along the way. And it starts us off with Sharon, Boomer, Valeri, sitting in a storeroom. And she is covered in water. And she looks like she's coming out of some kind of, like, 
trance or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, and she's she doesn't know where she's at, and she kind of looks around and she notices that there is a, a detonator in her bag. In her bag, yeah. She looks down, and looks in her bag. Oh, another thing that I noticed. I'm going to ramble a lot today. Again, over the years, when the show was on, I listened to the soundtrack, the score, over and over and over and over again. And the score was definitely a separate character um, that enhanced the nature of the show. And Mm -hmm. one thing I really noticed was when she looked in her, it's like it's a really subtle hint, but when she looks into her bag, they play the Cylon um, a hint of the Cylon theme when she's looking at her name, Sharon Valeri. So, as if it, we, the audience, don't already know she's a Cylon. Yeah, but it was a really subtle hint. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It was just like because, like, the thing that I think is interesting about this whole thing, and like again, like I feel like the entire thing is brilliant, is that like they did a really good job of making us sympathize with her. Mm-hmm. Both, but both Sharons, which is really fascinating because when you think about it, we should actually we should actually sympathize with Boomer more than Athena because Athena knew what she was doing, but this Boomer character kind of rips your heart out in a lot of ways, and we like we're kind of living with the struggle that she lives with, and we kind of under at least I can understand some of the choices that she makes, uh, especially in this episode. The Athena character, that Sharon, I feel like at this point in the story, me personally, I didn't trust her. No. Um, Well, she wasn't trustworthy. (laughs) Right. And it's not till later when she really makes a conscious choice Mm -hmm. to be with Hilo, that he's important to her, that she's not going to go along with whatever plan they have concocted for her and Hilo. Yeah. That she really like wins me over and I'm sure the rest of the audience because at this point it's like we know what she's doing. Everything is calculated. Yeah. And with with Boomer it's a totally different thing because she's a sleeper agent. She doesn't she doesn't know. Yeah. And we see that a lot in this episode like her struggle when she can see that they have found water and she can't say it. Mm-hmm. That's a really impressive way that they made that clear to us. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it, yeah, really powerful, right? We, yeah. I, you feel, you feel the struggle <laughs> in yeah. the scene and in the moment. It's great. I only wish, and my only criticism really is going to be that, um, like, I understand why Boomer's freaking out, mm-hmm. but she is acting guilty everywhere she goes. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that she had just, like, be a little subtler about this. Like, you are drawing attention to yourself. Just relax. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like that was by design, though, because um, she definitely, like, we don't, we don't really get a good impression... I mean, I've only really been able to glean this just after watching the show a ton of times. And they, they actually do say it, but, like, she's pretty fresh and new to Galactica. And she's pretty young and wet behind the ears. 
So she's not like this hardened warrior. And I think that that part is being conveyed through her reactions to things. Like, well, it uh, all oh. sort of tracks with um, what has been established about her anyway, because like she and Chief sneaking around, quote unquote, they're yeah. not fooling anyone. Yeah. So yeah. she's just really not good at this. She's she's right. not a good covert agent if she this particular Sharon if she's given a task. <laughs> like yeah. the one that's on Caprica I think is handling herself a little bit better. This one is like has no subtlety. Well, I think like with this Sharon, like we don't even know the boomer Sharon, we don't even know to the degree of how much her Cylon uh, consciousness is in control and so like we kind of when she blacks out it's like we black out so we don't actually see her like in Cylon mode ever so yeah. like as far, as far as she knows she doesn't I mean she doesn't know what's going on and she's being confronted with this idea that oh my god I'm not who I think I am like I couldn't even imagine that <laughs> no actually. i under i understand that part of her struggle it's yeah. that she's she should be trying a little harder to not draw attention mm -hmm. you know like even when chief is like yeah i gave the detonator to the master at arms and she's like what like yeah. freaks out and he's like yeah <laughs> it it's fine because right. it goes like why would that draw attention to you yeah why would yeah, you think she... that yeah, no, totally. I mean, I mean, every time, I guess every time it, it, it happens, I kind of laugh. And maybe that's why I'm I'm not uh, as, uh, you know, you should be more calm because it, it kind of entertains me how much she freaks out. But, yeah. <laughs> like, I understand being scared that people are going to call you a Cylon. Yeah. But right now, as we learn in this episode, it's only a rumor mm -hmm. to most of the fleet that right. silence look like people so why would you automatically go to that they're yeah, gonna she, think she says it a couple times too yeah. it's like yeah <laughs> totally i'm not guilty guys i'm not guilty <laughs> <laughs> like Aren't no one you says know? you were they just said hello <laughs> no one no one knew you were wet no one saw you change your clothes yeah when she comes so she comes out of the she comes out of that room the uh locker room whatever and um uh callie's right outside and you know she again she's like you know she fumbles a little bit because she's like good what she say good evening and then callie's like oh, yeah. no it's morning what are you talking about and then she asks her what time is it and you know she's like it's uh it's 5 30 in the morning and you know she's like oh oh uh, uh, oh oh okay yeah, but you her... can lose track of time when you're out in space you got yeah, no sunrise to tell you. Yeah. It's, it's just the way that you're saying. It's like the way she handles all of these instances. She's so nervous. Yeah. Like overly nervous to the point where she's suspicious, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I think ahead um, to – I think he's – I think it's when Adama's talking to Athena – maybe or might be at the end but anyways he says something like uh you know i remember when you were a, a young girl new to the ship and you could barely stick your landings you know and so it's been I always, a while since we've had your 
Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna he's gonna come out every I know I know specifically when he's coming. Um there's certain lines that he says I always like, yeah. So anyways. Um <laughs> uh so we go on to act one. Um uh we're uh we for, this is the first time that we actually see uh, Colonial One, the relationship Colonial One has with Galactica, where it's like docking into um, the hangar bay. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, kind of gives you like a sense of how big Galactica actually is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so we, we'll, we'll see, we'll be seeing that over the course of the uh, the show. Um, but in this instance, um, uh, basically, what's happening is Rosalind and Billy and the the Colonial One crew are getting ready to formally uh, kind of be introduced to the Galactica. So you have a lot of um, like Colonel Ties getting his military dress well in the middle of <laughs> just rationing out his uh, booze. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's got one whole hand left. Yeah. Uh, Five he, fingers. And you kind of, I don't know, feel for the guy a little bit. Even if he wasn't a drunkard, I'd still be like, yeah, you got to, like, you know, those are priorities, you know. There's a a kind of a cool scene with Lee and uh, Adama where they are talking about the Olympic carrier incident from the episode before. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lee really is expressing his guilt over the situation. You know, then we get a lot of the, the stoic responses um, from Adama again, where it's like, you know, we'll let the historians uh, worry about all that, you know. <laughs> um, Adama says a man takes responsibility for his actions, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And later on, Lee says that back to Rosalind. So yeah. it's nice to see that Lee, that. Their relationship seems to be healing a bit, and he's listening to the advice his dad is giving him. Yeah. And I actually take – it's actually really interesting. This is – you know, this relationship goes through a lot of different cycles, and I noticed uh, something towards the end that was setting them up for that repeating – makeup breakup thing that they do over the course of the show Um, on again off again relationship yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah so it was it was really cool to see them coming together because like i knew that they were going to be falling apart you know a little bit later so um again that's why i think i brought up the um the a b and c story because i could see the seeds being planted um towards the end of the episode when we get there I'll, i'll touch on it um but in contrast to this moment it made it even uh, more stark so yeah and it does also you know it it was interesting to see the two sides of the uh the, the equation so to speak so you had billy and rosalind having um their interactions and then the military folks having their interactions i thought it was interesting with billy and rosalind because <laughs> she was talking about uh uh, what did she say? Like, how do I look? And mm-hmm. Billy was fumbling over. Oh, you look fine, or whatever he said. Yeah. You look fine. <laughs> She's like, fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you don't know how to talk to women. Basically, is what she said, which was obviously going to be a little foreshadowing for 
um, his relationship with Dee a little bit later. He likes her hair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. In, in Diallo's notes, I, I, I said, uh, you know, Billy does not have the riz. He's got no riz. <laughs> no, he is a disaster. He reminds me of myself in a lot of ways, <laughs> actually. I mean, I can't say that I have had a ton of game in my day, but mm-hmm. there were there were definitely times where I was able to, like, I don't know, flip a switch and just, mm-hmm. like, I would walk away from a situation and be like, damn, that was cool. <laughs> that was a really cool move. and But most of the time I was just a fumbling mess, so I understand where Billy's coming from, but... It's also like I like your hair and her look of like <laughs> my hair. <laughs> okay, like you couldn't pick her eyes, dude. They're right there. She's got yeah. these like Amazing incredible eyes. green eyes. Yeah. Like, oh, Billy. Um, one of the things I again about this whole um, you know, Rosalind and Billy and the, or like the the civilian side of the equation and the military side is they both are showing up to this thing and both think the other side really needs and wants it. I, in my notes said that this is just a classic sitcom misunderstanding. (laughs) It's just like, uh, (laughs) it's just like, what do you call it? What's the show? Uh, three's company. Like, (laughs) 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 um, but one of the things, uh, again, watching it, this instance is, you know, through the course of the episode, you really see, like, Adama's, like, warmth coming through. Mm-hmm. Like, he's going out of his way, and, and Lee actually says it. Like, he, like, he's really going the extra mile to make sure the president feels comfortable, which is a really, like, that's a really good thing, especially in relation to how he was kind of treating her right after the fall of uh, the colonies. Yeah. Um, you know, but like he, he kind of like, he gives her towards the end of the episode, a piece of wisdom <laughs> that something that she should follow. So it's almost like he's like, he really does believe in upholding this idea of civilization a little bit more than like Rosalind does in, in a in an instant or two, um, what advice does he give her? Uh, when she wants to have the Marines, because um, oh, they're having yeah, yeah. so she okay. she wants to have the Marines uh, basically act as police, and he's like, you know, I, we uh, we've got to yeah. keep them separate. I <laughs> I wrote that whole thing down and bolded it in my notes because. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some people in this country we live in could learn from <laughs> that speech a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And it's, again, one of the things about this show constantly is it's just, it's basically just looking at history and looking at how humans tend to react in certain instances and looking yeah. at where, where they fail and there's a lot of patterns, and this is one of them. He's expressing this idea of keeping, like, the the military and the police definitely should be separate. And 
he's the one that like steps up to uphold that. And then we see actually like much later, we actually see what happens, not just um, with this, but when Pegasus comes, we get some stories about some of that, how Pegasus handled the situation. And so we definitely see that this little um, fleet uh, that we have um, in order to be healthy needs to maintain a strong vein of uh, civilian leadership. And mm-hmm. um, in this instant, it's just kind of funny or ironic that Adama is the one that's actually like doing the heavy lifting, so to speak, when all of it comes. Because I think it's his idea to invite uh, the president over and he's the one that gives the advice and that kind of stuff. So. Um, things do yeah. change a little bit later, <laughs> but yeah. but not change, but not, and then they come yeah. back around. Yeah, not by his hand, which is I I think it just examines this whole thing, so it's pretty cool. Um, so we jump back to uh, uh, Chief and uh, Boomer, and this is when they're sort of like going over the whole idea of, uh, you know, she tells him that she found. Uh, the missing detonators and (laughs) Tyrrell is so like in this instant I actually feel like Chief is more guilty than Baltar was when it comes to the fall of like humanity because Chief like he should have known and I get that like like he's in love, right? But like the penalty for what he ends up doing should be a lot heavier than what he got. And there it gets discussed a little bit later. He thinks but... that she's being set up. I mean, I think he convinces himself that she's getting set up. I don't think he really believes that. I think maybe later um, there's a whole incident that happens a few episodes from now, the Master at Arms episode, where she is investigating. And she's really coming down to this door was left open because of Chief. And mm-hmm. Chief knows it was probably left open because of Boomer. Mm-hmm. And he breaks up with her. And she says, like, I need to I need you to tell me that you don't think I'm a Cylon. Mm-hmm. And he can't say it. Right. I think that in that moment, he's thinking back to this incident. Mm-hmm. But I think in this incident, he really has no reason to think that she would do anything like this. Yeah. Because he doesn't know that Cylons look like people. That's just a rumor going around. And he is in love with her and he knows her, so he thinks. And mm-hmm. so it just – it instead of, you know, accusing her or thinking that she did – he's like, y- you were drugged or, like, someone is setting you up. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that. I get him. But then he turns around and lies for her too. That's is, the part. That's yeah. the part where I'm going to, like, when he lie, like he outright lies for her. It's but what is he like... supposed to say? Boomer woke up soaking wet with 
a detonator in her bag, five detonators in the water tanks, and one on her ship. Like, he, he's never going to do that. Yeah, he's never going to do that. And he can't, like, he can't ever imagine him, the inaction he takes. He couldn't imagine, like, what manifests later, right? So, right. And I get that. I'm just saying he's more responsible. Think... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Baltar let a woman into the defense mainframe. Yeah. But he, like, the idea that there were Cylons, were like, none of that was that, on the table then. But something could be. That's like an American during the Cold War allowing a Russian into a defense mainframe. And, he, like, and he, I read, I always read that, like, sort of like a business competitor, not like a foreign agent. Um, but I think I'm, where I'm going, basically, is that even, even so... Um, there wasn't I mean there was a moral component to what Baltar did, but he was just sort of like the idea of like the fall of humanity wasn't like there, and there wasn't this threat, this direct threat of the Cylons, and there wasn't this direct threat of anything. He was just sort of like, oh, I'm gonna, this person's gonna like whatever she's gonna get some information and maybe take it and uh, you know, start her own company. That's how, that's how I always see it. Corporate espionage is okay. I'm not saying it's okay. <laughs> what I'm <laughs> saying is <laughs> when you're talking about like money and business, it's sort of like different than like well, like actual lives sure. at stake. And that's and I you know those that's the line I take um, when I look at the difference between the two. And so with what's on the table for chief at the moment with the fall of everything and there's this rumor of cylons and like the you know detonators are missing he couldn't imagine what could happen but there's like sort of like there was more responsibility for him to actually do the right thing in this instant than like baltar would have ever been asked to have or do i think both of them are victims of honeypots and one of them is knowingly a hunting pot and the other one is not. Yeah. It's it is interesting that the Cylons knew exactly how to manipulate these <laughs> these men, men are stupid and yeah. weak. <laughs> so I, I was laughing about that part. I was like, "Boy, they uh, they really knew what to do." <laughs> yeah. Women are going to be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> oh my goodness. Um we're jumping back and forth. We're in the CIC. Um, Rosalind is sort of like getting um, a briefing of all sorts of little things that happen on the ship. And at the, the moment that they're talking, uh, one of the ships is docking with the Galactica. And um, we're come to understand that this is happening because... They need to. The Galactica has a very, very good uh, water reclamation system. So apparently, they can like um, not much is wasted, and they actually wouldn't need to really like replenish their water supplies for years. But the civilian ships don't. They're well, most of them aren't even intended for like long journeys. They were just made to like hop here, jump here and there. So they actually have to uh, uh, couple up with the Galactica to replenish their water. While this is happening, we get some explosions 
And all of a sudden, we see tons of water venting out into space. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Very scary. Um, How did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's basically um, all along one side. Ty says that it there's ruptures in tanks. Three, five, seven, and nine. So all mm-hmm. of these odd-numbered tanks have exploded. So, and then Tyrrell and Callie are in that section a little bit later. And, um, you know, he already... You know, obviously knows that there were explosives missing. Um, doesn't take a genius to put two and two together here, mm-hmm. but um, he sees fragments. He kind of like I think he infers that it's from the bombs, but they don't really don't know that he actually really reports um, exactly what that is. And he talks about it a little bit later. Well, at this point, like I think he knows, but. Yeah. What he's saying out loud that, you know, his crew can hear is, like, we don't know what caused this. Yeah. And this is, like, and this is the thing that kind of builds because, obviously, they, they're going to get want to get closer and closer to the truth. Um, but eventually, um, it's Gaeta that, uh, is it Gaeta that kind of, like, puts them closer to the, the track of, of exactly what happened? No, what Gaeta says is because Rosalind, they have like this sort of meeting of um, some important people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaeta, Rosalind, Adama, Ty, Baltar, and some other 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 people who we never actually learn who they are. And he is asked to venture a guess. What do you think happened? And Adama's like, we don't guess when we don't know all the details and she's just like indulge me and so the theory that Gaeta has right now is that the tank was weakened during the Cylon attack which caused it to buckle and rupture but it's too early to say Um, I'll spare you my Adamo voice but he um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, it's actually a really good uh, interaction there because I love how Gaeta kind of like looks to Adama because uh, mm-hmm. um, he doesn't want to like you know he's he's got a like I'm 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 team military I'm not just gonna say you know what I actually think you know has happened um, and then Adama kind of gives him the go ahead to 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 say stuff and again it's like this interplay where Adama still is being. Um, trying to be accommodating to the president and her mm-hmm. role and what's like the things that she needs to know. I just don't want to miss when they are told to go on emergency rations mm-hmm. and shutting down like laundry showers, anything non-essential. Yeah. I was just, gonna, I was just about to talk about it. We get actually get a breakdown of, of uh, like how much water was actually lost. And they say 10 million JPs. I don't know. I don't know if that's an actual measurement. um but then we we kind of get an idea of um how much water's lost just by the fact that it was already established that the galactica doesn't need to really worry about water per se but now the galactica does like the galactica Mm -hmm. itself has to worry um and then the there's some ships in the fleet that actually are already going to um, be impacted by this immediately um so he 
you know, Adama tells them, you know, the tells their crew, like, not stop taking showers and, and that kind of stuff and start having their rationed water. So some of it's for, um, like, just the ship itself, but also so that they can uh, make sure that they're maintaining, um, helping the other ships that still need the water. And those ships are actually are going to have to ration water almost immediately. Ty says um, that the civvies are not going to like this. And given how we saw how people behaved during the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, being asked to do anything that helps each other mm-hmm. seems to be a very difficult thing for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And that just made me think of that. Like, you're being told you can't shower, you can't. Uh, drink more than a thimble worth of water a day, then people are, normal people are not going to be able to just understand that this hopefully is temporary. Let's just do this so we don't completely run out of water. Like, mm-hmm. there is a faction of people that would be like, I'm going to drink all the water I want. <laughs> and then in three days when there's no water, they're going to be like, where's my fucking water? Yeah. I mean that ha- that's a that's a thing in California actually, <laughs> where I think because <laughs> you know I we're remember. like yeah constantly. I mean I mean it's naturally a desert pretty much uh, where I live anyway. Um, but I there, I remember like a few years ago there was some kind of story that was coming out where like we were kind of in a severe um, drought situation and. Um, but like the rich folks had their own like water supply or something like that. And they were just like, just like using whatever they wanted. It was kind of like, I mean, it's kind of like that. There's all, you're always going to get people just that are going to like, you know, will want to do what they're, what they're going to do. And they don't want to be inconvenienced. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I think, you know, God forbid you know, their lawns aren't green for a little while. Right, right, exactly, because they can't really see, um, they can't really see, like, the long term, and they're sort of, like, just thinking, like, I don't want to feel uncomfortable, and I want to maintain. They actually, you know, in the in the original Battlestar Galactica, they actually cover this topic very briefly, but there's a, um, like, pretty much right after the fall of um, Caprica, and everyone's on the ships, and they're heading out. Um, there's like a senator or something that's just basically having a big party. And um, like it sort of like mimics that idea that you're talking about. Like in the midst of all of like everything, he has, you know, wealth and resources. So he's still trying to maintain his lifestyle. And uh, um, Apollo comes across it and kind of shames him into uh, like sharing the resources with everybody and the guy's the guy's wife had died and he wasn't even sad and he's partying it up with you know scantily clad 70s chicks and um so yeah there's a they they take a a more practical approach to that in this episode just like talking about it um but again i was thinking you know in in the last few years when i was thinking about a rewatch of the show it was something I had been thinking about just what you were saying. Like this show seems to apply to so many different things that happen in real life. And one of the things I had been thinking about was how people act when in the face of, of 
like these insurmountable things, right? So we all kind of had to go inside for months on end. And I was thinking about how that was kind of like the Galactica, right? Like they, people were living their lives and all of a sudden they were like stuck on these ships. And um, I was kind of wondering about like the effect of that on the civilians. And they, again, the show doesn't really jump into it a lot, but they do touch on it, especially down the road a little bit more. And it affects some of the choices that they make when they're confronted with uh, the idea of being free. Um, so, so I have this book called The Official Companion. There's actually one for each season. So I mm-hmm. looked up what was said about this episode. And initially, Ron Moore was ty- toying with making the fleet experience a paper shortage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then he decided that a water shortage had far greater dramatic potential. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more visceral than paper. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no, we don't have paper to print out our dot matrix <laughs> messages to each other, or we don't have enough water to survive. Which yeah. one has more potential? <laughs> they already cut the corners off of all their paper anyway. Have you ever noticed <laughs> that on the show? That's, I of guess, their little, the little way the colonials do, do it. So they should just have naturally have more paper anyway, so they're more efficient with it. So. <laughs> Even their books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have everything. Like, if you look, when you watch the show, like, like everything, all the corners are cut off. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying that that's just, like, just, I don't know. That's just how they do it, you know? That's basically, like, one of the only things that a lot of people know about Battlestar Galactica is, like, oh, they cut the corners off of their <laughs> paper. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, it's good world building. You have to pay attention to, like, all those little things. I remember, like, again, you know, go back to Deep Space Nine. I remember them saying, like, the the Cardassians, not the ones that end up on the TV show, the reality TV show, but, like, the the uh, space aliens. They are Cardassians, yeah, so there's Cardassians. a there. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, they had this thing about the number three. And so you saw that in a lot of the designs of the show. So, like, the actual space station, which was a Cardassian, originally a a Cardassian space station, has, like, three giant pylons. And so that kind of, like, those little little bits of world building actually help to build out the show. Um, So it gives it, like, at least a feeling of it being a different place. And with with everything feeling so... They were that the care the people were so much us, just like the way even the way they dressed. Um, those little things help to remind us often that oh yeah, this is a whole other civilization. So um, yeah, yeah. So. I was gonna make a not to be confused with the Calrissians, but it just didn't fit. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> like land, like Lando, like Lando. Yeah, <laughs> that's a system. It's a planet. Anyways, uh, we get, we have a little – so the, when they're having their sort of like uh, tete-tete with this whole group of like experts, we actually get a, even more of an idea of uh, how much resources they have. So we like we talked about – they talk about the water. That was the most prescient. But then resident uh, expert on everything, science – Baltar is asked to to give how much um, 
you know, how much other things are going to need. And he goes through this list. I always, I always think that that's it, with the way he reads, it's really interesting. But um, when I wrote he it sa- down. Yeah, yeah. When he says uh, there's uh, 82 tons of grain, 85 of meat, 423 tons of fruit and vegetables, and they need 2.4 million JPs of water. And then they ask whether they ask, like, is that per month? And he's like, no, per week. So you actually, again, it covers the, like the reality that the, like this group of ships is actually facing. So mm-hmm. it's, again, this is not some other, sp- this is not like Star Trek where they just kind of like fly through the stars and not worried about like anything. It's like these people always are going to have to like find ways to actually survive, not just survive the Cylons, but survive starvation. And in this episode, um, thirst. I just, I don't remember offhand if they ever really go back to where they're getting their food supply from. So they, they talk about, there's the algae planet that comes, um, I think at some point in season two. And I, so my understanding after that episode was that they have some sort of, you know, like soylent green, <laughs> right? Of uh, of food like those, resources, those jelly cubes that they had to eat on Snowpiercer. Yeah, exactly. Or like, because um, we do see there's like the, you know, there's some ships. Maybe they have um, like gardens and that kind of stuff. I mean, they you know they don't they they touch on it enough to like let us know that it's something that they're concerned with. And then there's so many ships in the fleet. I was just like, assume, you know, somebody, somebody's taking care of that. And again, we actually see a piece of that. I think that's all the way in season four, season three. Um, there's, um, everyone sort of has their own little class, um, a job that they're kind of stuck doing, which is, um, what Tyrol is kind of, um, uh, pivotal. Oh, the union in, um, episode. Yeah, pivotal and changing. Did you either watch or read The Expanse? Yes, I did. So in in the books, I don't go into this too much in the show, but in the books, they they do describe the food supply. Um, mm-hmm. While there's you know a lot of fresh food is grown on Ganymede, a lot of what they eat is basically mushroom based because the mushrooms mm-hmm. they can grow in a sunless place mm-hmm. so it's all this sort of mushroom based foods which i thought was really clever and thoughtful mm-hmm. that you know these people exist in the asteroid belt for generations so where would their food come from mm-hmm. so i like yeah that. and again again with our you know with our pandemic situation we actually were confronted with that you know i mean it was like (laughs) toilet paper i guess ron moore was onto something um (laughs) (laughs) initially but we did see like we're kind of going through that with eggs right now i guess uh where like i heard something really terrible about the egg thing uh what is it it's not like a i I haven't looked into this so maybe i'm wrong maybe Mm -hmm. what i was told was wrong but i heard that there's sort of a an influx of a bird flu. I did hear something about that as well. So they've had to, sadly, 
kill a bunch yeah. of chickens, which is yeah, why there that. aren't as many eggs. Yeah, so I this isn't really a supply chain issue, which is what we have mm-hmm. been dealing with for the last three years with a lot of things that mm-hmm. it's hard to get the stuff from places or it's hard to produce it because of, you know, labor or whatever. This is just like, yay, another thing. Now it's a bird flu. Can I tell you the amount of suffering I had to endure because I ordered a super cool mini arcade Tron uh, toy? (laughs) (laughs) It took a year for me to get it. It was excruciating. I don't know how these... (laughs) I don't know how these people could survive. Uh. I, when Loki was on and the Loki Funko Pops were released, I uh-huh. pre-ordered the full set because I wanted to make sure that I got Alligator Loki. So uh-huh. I pre-ordered the full set. I just got them like two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Really? That's I, what it's I like pre-ordered years, those. Right? Yeah. In 2021. Wow. wow. And I just got them because the company that I ordered them from, they're a small collectible company in New York mm-hmm. and they have to wait until they get it from yeah. wherever. And it just took forever for them to get it because they're not a high profile company. So they don't get that first wave of shipments. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets showed up and it was like this big box. And my boyfriend was like, what did you order? And I was like, Oh, I bet it's my Loki pops. Finally. <laughs> But it's really interesting to see, like, you know, the, like, we're just so used to, like, we, we sort of live in a machine and we assume that everything that we want is just sort of like there for us. And we don't Mm -hmm. like every, the part of how those things get to us is removed. So we just are kind of like, I go to the store, there's like, there's meat there. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, you kind of like, you when there's a disruption of any kind, whether it's um, the actual physically getting to you there or like the what you were talking about with the um, chickens having to be um, destroyed, like we don't normally like go through that stuff. So it's like, kind of interesting to see how fragile actually yeah. um, how, the bond that people that we have. lose their minds too. Do you remember during the pandemic, there was something about meat and I'm a vegetarian, so... Mm-hmm. I only like partially paid attention to it because I was like, this does not affect me. But then people started buying my food. They started buying my vegetarian (laughs) stuff because (laughs) there was no meat. And I was like, well, now, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. You can't just go getting the only thing I can eat because I won't eat a cow. Now you're going to take my fake burgers? (laughs) That first... That first, I guess, week when everything like shut down and people were shopping, uh, you you know, I get a lot of like, lentils and that kind of stuff and i remember like there were like none because everyone like was they were getting like dry goods mm-hmm. that would last and i was so annoyed i was just like oh you, you people um but anyway <laughs> previously on battlestar galactica <laughs> um so they have to um they sort of the res- they resolve to need to find a new source of water. Mm-hmm. So uh, Adama um, gets, uh, I think, I think he gets a tie to like find some star systems that they could jump to 
to see yeah. if there's actually a viable sources of water. He asks for an astrological survey of the star systems that are nearby. And this is like my favorite tie moment in the rest in the episode and i feel like uh-huh. maybe i need to start keeping track of my favorite tie moments. yeah yeah totally you have to he's he has <laughs> the greatest one-liners ever so Rosalind <laughs> is like colonel how likely is it that they'll find water and he says oh so now you want me to guess yeah and i just i love it yeah i love it so good and, and then it's he's a little... just like most planets are just hunks of rock and gas, and the galaxy is pretty barren when you get down to it. Yeah, it's a little. Uh, I mean, again, it's a little foreshadowing too of their relationship. Uh, uh, the very beginning of season two, just kind of how he he deals with her versus how Adama it... deals with her. I don't know when, like, at what point Colonel Ty became my favorite character on this show. Mm-hmm. It definitely wasn't at the beginning, but he a hundred percent is my favorite character. So I yeah, like I mean, going back and looking at like, oh, he's such an asshole. <laughs> yeah, just I mean, love he's, him. he's great. I, like he's. I mean, he's he's a, he's definitely a fan favorite, and you know when he, um, you know when they're on New Caprica, his, his his he like doubles down on the the grumbly gruff thing, mm-hmm. and it's just he has he's a, he's got some great speeches. Um, so, not to get completely off topic, but did you hear what happened to Michael Hogan? Yeah, he yeah he had a stroke or something. He had a right? really he's... really massive stroke. Yeah. 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 He's um, been... I donated to the GoFundMe, like, without question, like, immediately. I was just, like, I just remember reading about it and just bursting into tears because mm-hmm. I truly love him so much, not just because he's Colonel Ty, but because I've, you know, seen him in person and I've heard such wonderful stories about him and just, I love him. And mm-hmm. um, so I get updates still. His wife okay. will update the GoFundMe and sort of give you know, let everybody know like how he's doing and he's, he's doing better. I don't think we'll Mm -hmm. ever see him acting again. Mm -hmm. Um, but the last update I saw, he was just about able to eat solid food again. Oh, wow. And, um, he was getting some mobility back on, I think it was his right side. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, the really tragic thing is their daughter had something happen to her right at the same time where she ended up in a coma. And it sounds like she had to be in a care facility too. And at the time, because this was during the pandemic, they weren't in the same facilities because of the nature of their issues. Mm -hmm. But eventually they were able to move him to the same place where his daughter is so that they could be together. But it sounds like I forget what happened with her, but it was pretty bad. Wow. That's, yeah, rough. So that's a his, rough, uh... his wife was going through it. And, um, and also like, because of that, I was like, here, please take, take my money. I'm not, yeah. not working and they're paying me to stay home. So let me share. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we all love, Colonel Ty, we all love Michael Hogan. He's just a gem of a human, like so opposite of Colonel Ty. He's so yeah. joyful and warm, just 
it like broke my heart to hear what happened to him. I'm glad he's doing better. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and I think I talked about it a little bit in the first episode we did um, off the miniseries. But, you know, initially I was a little disappointed that um, the the Colonel Ty was, like, not um, uh, black um, Mm -hmm. like the original was. Um, But this Colonel Ty was just amazing. So, (laughs) you know, kind of kind of rolled with it and definitely was not disappointed with the outcome of the character. So, so one thing that's actually, uh, interesting, um, when they were, uh, after Baltar gives his whole breakdown of, um, you know, how much food or whatever it's going to take, he actually, uh, 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 Adama clears everybody from the room, except Baltar, Rosalind, uh, and Lee, I think. And Um, Ty. And tie, yeah. But, and, but the reason he does that is because that's right before that chief gives his findings to them about yeah. the five detonators and that there may be a sixth. Yeah. They don't know where it is um, and that lacks, lacks security and record keeping or something. Mm-hmm. Um, because of those things, they may not know who had access to the locker. And that's when Adama decides to fill in some people on some things yeah closes the door and then he verifies there's at least one cylon in the fleet so this is the mm-hmm. first time i think that rosalind knows for certain um yeah. and i kind of felt it was interesting that billy wasn't included in that and it makes total sense why he isn't but i'm like you know basically Billy functionally was the vice president, <laughs> you know. Um, and Is he though? Kind I'm just saying. Aid. Yeah, I'm saying functionally, like, yeah. like, yeah, because um, they, you know, they actually get into the concept of vice president a little bit later in the season. But um, he, like, he's pretty much privy to everything that goes on. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just thought it was kind of interesting that he was, but it, it made total sense. But yeah, it so. It's verified that there's at least one Cylon, the, you know, and I, it goes back to the question, like, I probably should have looked it up or read about it. I kind of don't want to know, though, but um, uh, with the whole, at the end of the miniseries, when he gets the note that says there are 12 models, yeah, um, I'm wondering if that's what sparked that, um, you know, if that sparked that comment, or it's just you know, because he pretty sure that there's another, um, well, he knows that Leoban was a Cylon Mm -hmm. and then there is the note that he got, but also Baltar accused Doral of being a Cylon. So he knows that Cylons look like humans and Ty Mm -hmm. knows because he told Ty. Mm-hmm. He probably should have told the president right away, yeah, and and maybe should tell someone about that note. So mm-hmm. far, we haven't seen him tell anyone about that note or know where it came from. Yeah, I mean, it, it literally, like, pretty much that note gets forgotten right away. Like, it, it moves from in it moves from like a part of the show to like external of the show. It's like mm-hmm. it's just for it's just for us after that, and like they kind of. It, ignore that in the moment from then on um and then you know obviously it 
it becomes a part of the show later. I'm actually glad they did it the way they did it because that we were always on the edge of our seat of like, oh, who's going to be the next one that we find out, you know? Um, yeah. And it was always, it was almost always a surprise when that person showed up. Um, the next, the next model showed up. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so that was, a, that was actually a pretty interesting moment. Um, we also have, uh, we also go back down to Caprica again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the stuff happening on Caprica isn't like, there's not like very much going on except that we see Sharon and Hilo in it, like, well, at least from his side, and ver- <laughs> I kind of started laughing at myself again. I was like, "These Cylons know what they're doing," because <laughs> because Hilo's getting duped as well, right? Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, it's really you you start to see, I think, or infer um, at least. I don't. Yeah, you know, actually, when I, if I'm being honest, when I first watched it, I didn't really think it was going there till a few episodes later there was like a scene in the barn or something right before that when i knew that this is kind of where they were going with that relationship but right now it's just like the two of them out in the wild surviving and on the run from um the cylons um it's kind of interesting that you know they find they go back to her raptor like that's their destination they get mm-hmm. there and they see that there are centurions sort of crawling all over it and she's like i don't know how they found it i was careful about how i came in there were no cylons around i didn't leave any beacons i didn't reach out to anybody and he's like i i know it's fine so like mm-hmm. this version of sharon is also like protesting a little much Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so i guess that's a character trait yeah i guess so she's a little yeah she's a little smoother though this athena's way smoother than boomer is it's it's you know again a testament to like her and um also trisha helfer just like the way that they're able to play like different versions of themselves at times Mm -hmm. is actually pretty fascinating you only yeah, I mean, it's it's not uh, uh, Tatiana, what's that, how do you say her last name, Maslany? It's not to yeah. her, yeah, it's not her uh, level. No but you one de- is at her yeah. level. <laughs> but you definitely see, like, this, um, like, especially Trisha, because I think she plays, like, the most, the widest variety of um, uh, six models. Um, but, eventually. Uh, they, yeah, eventually, yeah, over time, but... It, it, it you really get to see this distinctness um, and relate to the different models that she portrays differently. Um, but even this subtle one with Sharon and, and Boomer, you kind of see like, they're definitely like two distinct characters in my head anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, Hilo starts to get a little soft, you know, on her. He's kind of like, he's always had a crush and, Again, been there, Hilo. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just based on looks alone, Chief has nothing on Hilo. Yeah, like if she knew that this was her, these were her choices. But you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, the heart wants what it wants. I I, in my notes, uh, we this is the portion where Diablo talks about the notes he wrote. I wrote, I too fall for women who want to destroy me. 
So. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um anyway uh we get a little breakdown of the the uh, raptors uh being sent out to those um locations mm-hmm. to find try to find water um and so far they have come up zilch nada almost every time yep um, we also have like a little, uh, again, we were talking, it's talking about this a little bit more uh, earlier, but like we have this moment with Adama and Rosalind in Adama's quarters and she's talking about how she only brought one suit and, you know, having that, that kind of conversation. Um, and then they have this exchange over books, which is uh, really cool. And it's like a murder on Pycon. I think it comes up a little, a little bit later and. Um, some episodes, but he lends her a book. Well, he doesn't lend her a book, and this is actually something I've taken with taken for myself <laughs> in my life because I, um, I guess I modeled my life after Battlestar Galactica. But he says, <laughs> he says, never loan a book like it's a gift, and yeah. I always like kind of think that. So like, if anybody, if anybody, I give somebody a book. I mean, I'm loaning it to them, but if I never give it back, I'm handing it off with the expectation of like if i give it back it's just because they're giving it back to me but i'm sending it out into the world um but there's this level of like care that he has with her he's like he he actually really is like i don't i'm not even gonna use the word trying to be kind to her it's just he's sort of this pragmatic stoic person that's just like okay this is what's happening now so this is just what i'm gonna be but there's the background of his character is that he's a kind man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think he's sort of accepting her in her her role mm-hmm. and seeing her as a person and not as an adversary of some sort. You know, mm-hmm. like she's not questioning his motives or the choices that he makes with every move he makes. Like, I think he was afraid she would do like, here's this inexperienced person who was handed this position that she didn't earn. And why do I need to listen to her? I have authority on this ship or whatever. And now she's like in last week's episode, like, no, I'm not questioning why you're doing what you're doing. I'm just asking. And here on in this episode, she's sort of deferring to him, asking questions because she's trying to understand. I just think he's like seeing her as a whole person and not Mm -hmm. um, someone who's just going to go up against him on everything. Mm -hmm. There's no I guess, you know, there's no agenda to the things he's doing. I think that's what it is. It's not I don't get this impression that he's trying to like jockey for like some kind of like control or anything he's just sort of like you know and it, it, as a person that's taken orders his whole life which is something i remember he says uh um when the pegasus shows up but he's he's sort of like it's he 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 and also the fact that he's on the galactica which you know wasn't like it wasn't like a flagship of the fleet mm-hmm. it's like it's a, sort of characterized as like a bucket of bolts it was going to be decommissioned he's going to probably retire soon um like he 
he's just sort of like there in the moment and he's doing what he's always done. And I think he's just kind of doing what works for him while he's also like kind of leading the fleet to fake earth. Um, but he doesn't, his relationship with her is genuine. Um, and, but is also kind of distant at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, and giving her a book to read is a genuine kindness because mm-hmm. I kind of, t- before I had a Kindle, I basically carried a book around with me everywhere I went. And mm-hmm. if I ever was traveling, I would be like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to feel like reading. And so my my like carry-on bag would be full of books just in mm-hmm. case. Like, I don't know what I'm going to want to read. But the idea of only having one book forever (laughs) yeah oh god that's horrible so i really love that he was like oh have you read this here take it yeah finding things to relate to each other on which is like the books Mm -hmm. and like as we as we come to find out a lot of those might be law books um but uh, he has a really impressive like library um yeah yeah, it's really cool. He's he's definitely not a yeah. He's like a little bit of a learned learned man. So um, we get to the, we get to this point where um, we're starting to cover the bits where that's uh, going to lead up to um, the Cylon detector stuff. But in this episode, Gata gets attached to help out baltar because they're they're definitely like baltar you're like you have a lot of stuff to do you're not going to be able to do it anymore uh by yourself um so (laughs) for a second baltar like acts like he's going to get be found out i -hmm. think but then um adama's basically like no we're gonna like felix is gonna go with you um i don't think he calls him felix yeah, no, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> um, Gata could Va- not be more excited. Yeah, Gata is like a little fanboy, which you know, to be honest, it like it, it shows you like Baltar was a celebrity. He was probably like he was probably <laughs> he was probably like an Elon Musk of his time. Oh. Total fraud. Um, <laughs> total no, opportunistic. I think Baltar fraud. is actually smart. Yeah, he's, he is actually smart. But there was like, but he, yeah. There, also but he, the, opportunistic. Yeah, definitely. Like Baltar, like the impression that I have of Baltar is that he, um, he was very, like he, he was very public. I mean, they had that scene in the miniseries where he's on TV, right? So yeah. he was like, he was like very good at sort of like marketing himself um, on top of his um, intelligence. So he definitely like, he definitely was like a figure and a personality. Hilo recognized him on mm-hmm. the planet. So he, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, maybe he's like, maybe he's more like, um, like a Neil deGrasse Tyson in terms of just like his visibility and his intelligence. I'm not talking about his character, maybe like more on that level. Um, so yeah, like if I was like, you know, on the ship and I, I was told to be an assistant to, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I would, I'd probably fan fanboy a little bit myself. <laughs> and Neil well, deGrasse Tyson annoys me in lots of different <laughs> ways, but I still would be like, wow, this is cool. Cause this is like, wow, you right. know? Yeah. <laughs> Cause we all get that way about celebrity in one way or another. I think, I think yeah. everybody has somebody that they'd be like, Oh my God, I get to work with you. Yeah, totally. 
I'm gonna this is I'm gonna drop this little seed. This is gonna come up a little bit later, but I'll tell you about the time I took a motorcycle class with one Katie Sackoff. Interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna leave that there. We're not gonna talk about it, so people okay. have to keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends with her on Facebook. Oh, are you? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. From like from like super early on, I yeah. like when I first started using Facebook, I like started searching for celebrities and because it was like you know 2008 yeah before it became what it is now and she popped up and so i just sent a friend request and she accepted it and she never uses her facebook but i remember a few years ago a friend of mine was like holy shit how are you friends with katie sackoff and i was like oh (laughs) i'm not (laughs) we go way back (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Katie Sackhoff, <laughs> yeah, we jump into a scene. Um, so uh, Baltar is like wants to get rid of Gata. Like he doesn't want this guy trailing him, especially because he knows he doesn't really have like anything really to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes past the uh, so like the rec room or whatever it's called, and he sees a card game happening. So he kind of meanders in there and kind of gets Gata off his tail. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so bad for Gata, actually. Yeah. He's so awkward. He's so, like... He is. And he yeah. he doesn't know that the last thing that Baltar wants is an assistant. Yeah. He'll, he'll want Gata on his side very shortly. Yeah, yeah definitely. But and today is not that day. Yeah, and you know, and Gata Gata has his back a lot, like over the over That's the years. Regrettably, yeah. later. Regrettably, yeah, very regret- regrettably. Oh, Gata, what happened to you? Anyways, um, so yeah, they're playing the card game, and there's this really strange flirtation that's starting mm-hmm. to happen between Baltar and Starbuck. Yeah, this was back when they were still sort of planning on these two ending up together. And literally, my notes are just Baltar and Starbuck flirt over cards. Yeah. I had like nothing else to say about it. It's just, for me, it's not even their interaction, but it's the, again, they're, it covers a lot of the idea of what people value and the scarcity of things. So for me, it's not it's not even about their flirtation. It's the, he's like, this is the finest jacket made of caprica wool. <laughs> you know? and, and he doesn't have any money. And so he's like, does anybody else have any civilian clothes you'd like to right. wear? Because he's like, yeah. he also didn't have any other clothes. Right. I, that, that, I, that, to me, that's what I find fascinating. Because it's like, you know, we... When you when you talk about money, we all think money is real, and again, we're kind of all a part of the machine. But then, when the reality is like when a part breaks down, like people will still kind of find a way to assign value to things. So it's like, how do I still get you know this thing that I want? And so you go back to how we kind of started out doing that stuff was bartering, mm-hmm. and so it's like you value this jacket that's now rare. Um, he gives her, um, after the card game, which he wins because he's the smartest man in the world, uh, in the universe at this point, literally, um, he gives her a, uh, 
a cigarette or something. Yeah. Um, One of the last ones in the world, in the universe. In the universe. And, like, he's talking, like, they, they frame things in that way. And, and they, it, you know, kind of does two things. Again, it, it shows you, like, the scarcity of things. It shows you, it shows you what they value. Um, but it also, again, um, gives you an idea of just, like, what they're dealing with now. The reality that this fleet of people is facing. They're, like, they've left their home and they're just kind of, like, wandering at this point. I wonder what Starbucks plans to use all of these qubits that she has won in these card games on. Because they really have no value. Well, I, you know, I actually think that... You know, when we talk about the you, your your favorite episode, my our favorite episode, actually my uh, the black market episode, like they they do have a monetary system still. Like it kind of it ends up it ends up becoming something later. But in reality, like even if like in our world, if everything broke down. We still have this irrational connection to money. So I could show you a hundred thousand uh, dollars. I could show you a hundred dollar bill, and it still would be like a means of trading with certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but in, in a practical sense, it it shouldn't be. But you still, it's just kind of how people are, right? Um, so I mean, I, I I mean, I'm just kind of thinking that that's kind of where it goes. Um, and it, again, eventually they do end up with sort of like this monetary system. Um, but I think a lot of bartering probably ends up happening as well. She definitely is not going to be able to afford her apartment on Caprica anymore. <laughs> well, luckily it's still there waiting for her. So. Yeah, and a, and a Humvee, I think, too. I think that's what I think that's there. Um. <laughs> So we end up with uh, their all the searches that they've um, that they sent out have all come up with zilch. So now it's up to our favorite crash down and boomer of all people <laughs> that need to go find water. So I think Adama, you know, kind of like really presses. Um, on her that like we like we need to find something so they head out ty actually says to him later like what are we gonna do if they come back with nothing and Mm -hmm. he says then we'll jump to another system and we'll start over yeah we'll start over but you with through this episode we really get to see how like what well what ty said earlier how like it's a barren like most of the Mm -hmm. most of the universe is barren so it's just like oh and he there was that line too uh that ty says about uh like adama is like it's a needle in the haystack and ty says like it's like trying to find uh, a grain of salt on a beach yeah a grain of salt on a beach like when he says that you're like oh man like this like i'd i'd almost want to give up at that point but that's just how vast and um you know scarce water actually is Mm -hmm. like you know we live on earth and you know most of our planet's water we think oh it must be abundant but you know we send stuff out and we don't see it really anywhere else like to the degree that it's here when we find it on another planet it's like whoa that's crazy and so that's kind of what they're dealing with yeah yeah 
Boomer and Crashdown are cruising through uh, some uh, sort of like rings of a planet or something. Like Ashford, they see them. You see them in the background. They're having like a little discussion. <laughs> uh, Crashdown is so awkward. Like <laughs> the stuff that he's talking about. Oh, is how just he so wants like... to name this little moon or whatever after this. It, Lovely lady that he in lo- met in a lovely bar, yeah. Or whatever, yeah. It's like, dude, oh, you're you're so off. Oh, crash down. <laughs> <laughs> I he he's not annoying at all in this episode, so I'm happy for that. Yeah. Well, we get to the end. I might have a nominee for airlocking, but anyways. <laughs> So, spoiler um but yeah so uh meanwhile on her instrument panel oh yeah I, I i actually forgot to mention um boomer actually notices i don't know if it's right at this moment or after she notices that there's uh one of the bombs is actually on her raptor under her seat yeah i think she notices it like she looks at her screen and it says that there is H2O detected and mm-hmm. she's like, no, nothing. And then looks down and sees the charger. Uh, yeah. There's this whole like intense, will she, what will she do? Right. Like, well, not at first. She... It's not till after she's like, let's, I, she's like, I don't know. I have, I just have a feeling let's, let's do another sweep. Mm-hmm. So they both do another sweep and he's, comes up with nothing and she again can see on her screen that it says it's detected and she's struggling and that's when she kind of puts her hand down to like maybe blow them up and what i really like about this is when she's like i can't seem to say it yeah and how confusing that is to her Mm -hmm. and then somehow she like breaks out of the programming and it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, there's water. There's a, you know, there's this metaphor uh, and song, you know, I'm my own worst enemy. And that came up for me um, when, when you're talking about Boomer. And in that episode, it's like she definitely can see it. It's there for the viewer. We know it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like, yeah, she just can't say it. And she doesn't know why. And um, talk about like self-sabotage as a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe that Crashdown couldn't see her screen. Well, that's why I say Crashdown. So <laughs> he's just like, he's just in the back, just like, boop a doop I don't know what, you know. Like he notices just... by something that she says where he's like, are you okay? So he uh-huh. notices there's something off about her. But he doesn't yeah. like you're 20 feet tall. You can't stretch your neck out a little bit and see that her screen says H2O. I mean, he's crashed down. Like, <laughs> he's such a doofus. I like literally that's why spoiler I have a nominee for <laughs> because of all the what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, yeah, so she finds, uh, she, eventually she, she lets Crashdown know that there's water. They celebrate, and her hand slips away from the, 
the bomb. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, whew, okay. Head back to Galactica. Celebration in the hangar deck. She's a hero. Um, but as she's going away, she pulls Chief to the side quickly. She doesn't even she's really doing do this... that because Apollo yeah, is she's... next to her. She just says, hey, yeah. can you... What is she? It's a, the ejection pyros. Can you check? Right. Those? Yeah. She there's like she's kind of saying it like, and I thought it was like very crafty. It's actually kind of funny because like earlier we were talking about how she like she's like I don't know what to do, but like she's very like sly about this, right? Yeah. So she's like, let's uh yeah, can you check? And then they were like, uh, I'll have my people do it, and she's like, no, you look at it personally, right? Um, it's very like I don't know, very savvy. So he goes in to the raptor and he sees the um, the bomb. Mm-hmm. You know, they play the music. You know that music. Um, <laughs> um, you know, but everything's all all calm after that. Um, so uh, we jump back to Caprica One, and we have this really interesting. Um, Interaction between Rosalind and Colonial one. Yeah, did I say? Oh, it's a Caprica one. Yeah, sorry. Um, Colonial one. Um, We jump back to Colonial one, and we have um, Rosalind and Lee having this interaction, and he's again talking about um, the Olympic, his feelings about the Olympic carrier. Um, I think they talk a little bit more about um, like why his dad wanted to have this whole thing. Um, she wants to know a little bit more about the military and the protocols mm-hmm. that they have. So she um, throws out this idea to have him be um, an official liaison, a uh, personal military advisor. I like what she says. She says, because he suggests his father. Yeah. Um, and she says, no, I don't mean I need military advice. I need advice about the military. Recognizing that she, what she doesn't know, like mm-hmm. admitting, like, I don't know about this. Yeah. Because it calls him the, the CAG. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to take away your job at the CAG. And for all of us Battlestar veterans that have been watching the show for the first only two episodes, um, at this point, we all knew by now it was called the CAG. Mm-hmm. So, and he kind of like politely corrects her. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, well, she's like, you see yeah, why, I, yeah. why I need you. <laughs> yeah, exactly why I need you. Yeah. Um, so, so he's yeah, like, who's going to tell my father? And she's like, well, that'll be your yeah, first duty. That's your first. Yeah, it's great. But it, and that's that, that actually, so when, you know, I was talking about their relationship, um, Lee and, Adama's relationship at the beginning of the episode where they are sort of like healing from their past. In this moment, I find it interesting because this is where they're planting the seeds for their rupture or their, their first big rupture a little bit later mm-hmm. in the season. Um, and again, they go through the cycle quite often. Um, which I actually find very organic. I know I, I remember some people being like, oh, they're fighting again. But I'm like, yeah, that's like father and son. Like, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like when, it, when you're talking about family, like you, you have the same fights, right? And you kind of relate. Even, even when they heal, they still have triggers. And 
So they're kind of are going through this thing. But this in this particular instance, the seeds are being set for um, their breakdown that's going to come down the road. It never felt contrived. Like there are some shows where the sort of will they, won't they kind of thing with like sitcoms or even like a show like Supernatural, I had been watching when it was airing and I quit and I came back to it during uh, – during the pandemic, I came back to it and finished watching all, whatever, 17 seasons. And they went back and forth where one season, it was Dean who was really conflicted. And then the next season, it was Sam. And then it was Dean. And then it was Sam. Like, flip-flopping every single year was like one of them was going to have, like, I I went to hell and now I'm back kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it never bothered me, but... It felt at times unnecessary, like there's enough going on on the show. Do we need to do this? Or, mm-hmm. you know, Ross and Rachel thing on Friends where it was like they're together. Now they're not. They're together. Now they're not. And it always felt like it wasn't for character reasons. It was for plot reasons. And right. on this show, their sort of conflicts with each other felt lived in and or like you said, organic. Like it mm-hmm. came from character, not from a plot need. Mm-hmm. I think, I think some of that too is, I mean, obviously it's by the, it's because of the brilliant performance, especially by um, Edward James Olmos. But we, even when they kind of like smooth things over, like it, it's not like everything's peachy and they're going to like, they hug. <laughs> like there's like, even in the, the mini series when, when he finds out Lee is back and like, he, it's like, he wants to be more uh, closer, but Lee's standoffish. And so they kind of come to like a, an understanding, but there's always a distance between them. So there's, there's always something that's ripe for, um, you know, for setting them off again. And so, I think that's another reason why it feels organic. Um, and again, like it, it feels lived in. Like you, I think you said mm-hmm. that. Um, it feels like um, a lot of our relationships with, if, if not our parents, maybe our siblings um, or some of our friends or frenemy, frenemies, um, where you have this sometimes adversarial falling out and then you make up. And it's just like, that's what family is, you know, not the uh, Fast and the Furious version of family, but the sort of like the more realistic version of family. Well, I've never seen those movies, so I only know this by the meme reputation of Fast and the Furious. I, when it, it, there's like Battlestar and then there's uh, Friday Night Lights and then there's Fast and the Furious for me. So, Wow. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm joking, but I really do love that. Uh, I do, I do love that franchise. I'm not, I'm not putting it up there in terms of like uh, literature or anything, but it's a, it's very enjoyable. I like cars and explosions, and that's uh, easy, easy mark for me. I will confess um, that so many people have told me that they're really fun. That mm-hmm. um, at one point I bought like the eight movie box set thing. Oh wow. Um, I haven't even done that. On DVD, because I figured if I have them, eventually I'll watch them. Mm -hmm. I have not yet. 
And and my boyfriend look, judged me for buying them, and I was like, "Look, I've heard that they're like stupid fun, and sometimes yeah. you just need a stupid fun movie." But that that idea, anyways, that idea of family, I actually like. Um, it's always like it mean because we all live in that space, right? Um, and so I notice it on a lot of shows that I really love. Um, uh, again, the family that you make, um, uh, Deep Space Nine, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, like there's so many show uh, Angel like really was good about like making. I think there's a moment when he called that group of people a family, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that we can all relate to. But I like thing I like about this Battlestar thing is like it's like this dysfunctional family that means well. Often they all have like a they all want good things, but they don't always know how to relate to each other. So. Um, one thing that uh, in that moment when Lee is talking to Rosalind is she relays the story about how back when there was civilization, um, uh, when he when Lee was talking about his um, his feeling guilty about still about the Olympic carrier how president adar had sent uh, marines into i think it was uh an air to Aralon and killed like the aftermath was that 15 people innocent people had gotten killed mm-hmm. um and he did he did this motif where you know he kind of had to say all the right things in public but he never really like forgot about that and he carries like guilt with that and what he did was that he kept a piece of paper with each person's name on it that you know kind of (laughs) died by an action or a choice of his and so Rosalind actually has started that tradition herself um, by carrying a piece of paper she only has one Um, President Adar kept it in his drawer she says I don't have any drawers I only have my pockets she has one it says Olympic carrier on it so she's carrying that weight as well um, and that whole Olympic carrier thing, I think it was a, is a, is a reason why Adama kind of, I think he might have respected her a little bit more cause she was the one that made the call, mm-hmm. the final call to actually do it. So like he knew she was kind of like, she was there for business and it's not, she definitely wasn't out of her depth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and we end with, um, kind of where almost where we began with uh chief and sharon and they isn't isn't it like she was like she was like chief i need to talk to you <laughs> no it this one they just go to them oh that like, was just that it okay yeah yeah i was thinking i forgot that that came a little bit earlier when he thought they were gonna make out again like this guy yeah <laughs> anyways yeah so I think, like, you know, the result of it was that share uh, that Tyrrell's kind of resolves that he's going to cover for her kind of no matter what. And then when Sharon leaves, it's a really interesting moment because she's walking down the hallways by herself. And she has this, like, blank expression, but kind of like a smirk 
And we're obviously supposed to assume that the Cylon in her is coming out in that moment. But yeah. she's really off to, we don't know what she's off to do, where she's going to be. And then it um, cuts to credits. Yep. And that is Water. I feel like this is not one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad episode by any stretch. It just... It feels very early season kind of episode. And as we go on, we get, I think we get deeper and deeper into the story and the characters and whatever. And I understand why, like, you know, they wanted to, uh, Ron Moore said they wanted to have this be an episode where they really dove deeper on a character and they picked Sharon because she was a Cylon and it would be interesting to sort of see what this character does in this situation and whatever and really learn more about her. This was their first real like character centric, like focusing on one character in the A Mm -hmm. story. And this episode always sticks with me because I know like all the water got vented out. It's like that image sticks with me, but I I think like I would like give it like a C. Like it's just fine. It's a fine episode. Yeah, like when I did my rewatch I I I had well not not to the extent that you're expressing but I definitely was like, yeah, this this one's kind of like a little flat. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um and again, yeah, I was just like it's obviously titled water. I remember this is the one when they have to go find the water. Didn't really remember a lot about the rest of the episode, like detail wise, and a lot of it, you know. Again, and that's why that's why I kind of brought up the the A, B, and C thing at the beginning because I really feel like this is the first real episode of the show, so it doesn't really benefit from that building up of all these subplots that kind of play out in the mm-hmm. moment. So this one really just kind of feels like it it has to quote unquote suffer by establishing so many different threads. And yeah. so that's why it doesn't quite um pop the way it does. And you know, and then um, you know, the water thing is sort of like the like the big, you know, the big uh flash for everybody to kind of like look at and, and notice. But the rest of it just kind of goes about the business of setting everything up. Um, I did stumble across something where uh, I guess Ron Moore used to blog about his episodes and he actually talked about this one. Um, this was before he started like he started doing his uh, podcasting um, right around. I don't know the episode number, but it's uh, I think a tie me up, tie me down was the one where they uh, bring back um, Alan. Uh, Ellen, yeah, <laughs> but uh, he was he was blogging about episodes, and I I thought I, he was very, but the podcasts that I really loved, and I'm I read in his blog post as well, he was very candid about his thoughts about episodes. So he didn't have like he didn't have this thing where he was like trying to defend everything that he did and was trying to like show you how great it was. He actually talks about this episode in a way where he actually was like, I failed because I wrote way more for the episode than um, it needed. (laughs) And so um, they had to do a lot of editing um, to actually cut it down. 
I heard they had to cut out like 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and so, and he was in the, in his blog post, he was talking about just how, like when he, cause he did, again, he did watch them and real, like when they were released, he would sit down to watch them just like everybody else on that Friday night when it came on. So he was like, he knew, first of all, he said he had written it a year prior. So it was kind of like revisiting this thing. Like they were, you know, it's kind of like in his distant memory at the moment, but rewatching it, he noticed all the places where they had to make um, large edits and also like the sly ones in the moment where they were cutting things. And he said that he felt like he could he could feel kind of what you were saying, where it doesn't it doesn't it's not necessarily the, the best work. And he says it actually down the road when he revisited it, it holds up a little bit better. Um, but. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting because I kind of had the same experience as you did. I wouldn't give it a C. Definitely, I would give it a B minus. But I'm a I'm a I'm a Battlestar Galactica apologist. So um, I'm not not yeah. a Battlestar Galactica yeah. apologist. I just this yeah. is just one of the episodes that I just it's fine. Yeah, it's not exciting. Um. I don't know. It's just it's just fine. It, you know, things pick up like the next episode is a lot more exciting and has a lot mm-hmm. of ideas in it that mm-hmm. I really like. And a really big um like debut. Mhm. Um with a mind-blowing debut for old school fans like myself mm-hmm. at the time. Um so um but yeah, I mean there's most of the most of the episodes that I think I would ever give a C to probably come like uh, in season four. <laughs> so almost at my baseline is B minus for anything that I just was like, eh, except for, you know, obviously black market. But um, <laughs> F. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it gets an F. <laughs> solid, solid F. And yet <laughs> and the, when I had nothing apologist- to compare it to, it was an A. Yeah, the apologist in me wants to give it a D. (laughs) So was Baltar the worst this week? I mean, no, he like he kind of. I mean, he was barely in this episode. I don't know that he had like much of an opportunity to be the worst. And actually, I mean, he's yeah, he he's quite charming. Actually, you actually get to see how he was able to uh, bed so many except (laughs) except when he's like. You know, backed into a corner about the Cylon detector, and he starts throwing out like big sciency words. Oh yeah, to like yeah. throw off Adama, <laughs> and Adama's like, "Yeah, we get it. Your intelligence is higher yeah. than ours. You need <laughs> so some good. help." Is what I'm hearing. Yeah, so good. I love I love Adama's uh, frankness about about that. Um, <laughs> He he does a little bit more of that a little bit later too, and some other episodes. But yeah, I don't I don't know that he he was the worst. He I mean, not the for worst. me. No. Yeah. Um. Who was the best? Who gets full colors? Who gets full colors? Um. This is hard. For, that's actually kind of a hard one for me. I mean, I was I think I was gushing a lot about Adama. This episode, so I'm probably going to give it to him. I was just like, this rewatch, I never was very aware of how 
open he was being to Rosalind. So I was really impressed by that. So because there's a part of my brain where it's like, oh, no, the military and civilian civilian, they're just going to butt heads. But I'm like, no, he actually was actually trying to make it as smooth of a ride as possible. So for me, Adamo was the best. Okay. For me, yeah, probably Adama. He's very authoritative in this. He just takes charge of like, okay, so this is what's going on. This is what we need to do to get things under control. He just, he's very good in a crisis Mm -hmm. and very calm, which you would have to be to be in charge of a battleship. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that you're going to throw Crashdown out the airlock. <laughs> All the way out the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even not like Crashdown. I mean, I love the actor, you know, just like, I just, he just, is, it's, he's so awkward in this episode. He's and just a doofus. He's like useless. Yeah, he's useless doofus. And, you know. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's a feature of this show. There's a character that I'm not sure that other people dislike, but I really disliked a certain character. But when this character exited the show, I was like almost in tears. Well, I think so, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So there's, so there's like, it's so like with Crashdown, <laughs> like as much as like they, like he's playing a certain way, but then it actually impacts you when. Like he, you know, has his crash down fate. So, you know, but uh, so I kind of like I'm like, you know, really like savoring all of these doofus moments that he that he has (laughs) right now. He's such a like he's such a oblivious tool. And uh, like, it's great. (laughs) I would throw Boomer out the airlock. (laughs) I mean, she, she needs to be. Yeah. <laughs> I hate saying it because I love Boomer. Yeah. But she needs to check that programming and keep her cool a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so you're 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 upset with her because she didn't lie. Yeah, she needs to lie better. better. <laughs> you're going to be a Cylon agent. You need to lie better. You need to... <laughs> It's hilarious. <laughs> As I said to one of our friends, I am very pro Cylons. So. <laughs> um, and then, so our favorite Cylon is really easy because there's really only Boomer in this. Six makes a brief appearance. Really brief, but yeah. really doesn't have a lot of impact. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, yeah. you're impacted by her climbing very slinkily out of a hot tub. I definitely really appreciated that <laughs> scene. Sure. <laughs> um, oh, and, you know the view—not of her, but that um, the house that mm-hmm. they go to often. I mean, it's beautiful. I remember Ron Moore talking about it a lot in his um, his podcast, and then um, you know if you've ever get a chance to go up to Vancouver and it's like heading up to the road towards Whistler and like you go past that, like that, all that area. It actually is as beautiful as it looks Mm. on um, the show. So there was a good shot of them um, kind of standing together and that was all in the background. So, I mean, you know, 
I wasn't just looking at, you know, her. <laughs> it's all right if you were. She she is definitely playing this specific type right now. Yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm more of a fan of when her hair is more natural. So <laughs> the the platinum blonde is a little a little aggressive, but you know, um that I did like that shot. Yes, so she's my favorite. Okay. Um, so next week is, as we said, Bastille Day, where we will welcome to the party Mr. Tom Zarek. Oh, yeah. What a character he... What a character. Is and will be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it because he comes out of the gate hot. Maybe for our Twitter account, my boyfriend and we found these when we were packing to move from our apartment to this house we currently live in mm-hmm. he has a set of Battlestar Galactica trading cards oh I used to have those that's so cool and I was like looking through them and like just baffled uh-huh. by their existence so um <laughs> i will ask him if he remembers where they might be now that we've moved and if uh-huh. i can i'll like take pictures of all of them and and share them because there's something and i yeah, can't even judge I, I mean i had they're like tops trading cards right i had yeah, a whole set yeah. of the goonies so oh did you oh yeah i mean i don't i don't remember like because I remember having the original Star Wars cards, and they weren't like... I mean, they were almost like the Battlestar cards. They were just kind of... They had different colored borders and... Yeah, different colored borders you know, and sh- like a, you know, a still shot from the show or yeah, character shot show. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have a complete set, but there was like 12 or 15 of them where I was just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Was, I... I I mean, I'm a big fan of the original show, so I would love to see those. Like, I don't know if I said it last episode or to you. I can't remember. But, like, I, I mean, my – because the original Battlestar Star Galactica TV movie, they actually released – re-released in theaters. Yeah, you parents, talked about that yeah, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. My parents took me to see that. So, I like, I'm I'm like, I'm all in. I watch Galactica 1980, and I just, like <laughs> – I didn't think it was great, but like I still love the motorcycles. I'm just like I'm all about Battlestar Galactica. So if you show me those cards, <laughs> I used to have a comic book, like a a, a big uh, kind of a big graphic novel size comic book of it. So I, I definitely want to see those cards. I'll track them down. They're yeah. somewhere in this house, so find them. Okay, just like we're gonna try to find Earth. <laughs> yeah, right probably gonna be about as difficult (laughs) we have a lot of stuff um all right well then until next week what do you hear diallo nothing but the rain bye see ya
You're listening to the Geekscape Network.